Hello and welcome to The View from the Ninian. I'm Scott Salter and this week I'm joined by Ben Price. We're chatting about Cardiff's 1-1 draw against Fulham, all the big talking points including Josh Murphy's opener, Alexander Hleb's equaliser and of course the big talking point, former Cardiff City low knee Harry Arter being sent off on his return to the Cardiff City Stadium for a questionable dive, shall we say. We're also reflecting on the start to the season. Six games, two wins, two losses and two draws, including also then a loss to Luton in the Cup. We talk about maybe what's gone wrong and maybe some of the encouraging signs uh, going into the international break. We're also chatting international football. We talk Wales, the European qualifying match against Azerbaijan tomorrow, which is Friday. And we also talk about the Belarus friendly on Monday. It's a good one. Enjoy. We'll be back to chat about that game against Derby after the international break. Well, just the two of us this week to chat about the start of the season for Cardiff City. And as always, I'm joined by Mr. Ben Price. How's it going, dude? All right. Not too bad, thanks. How about you? Yeah, not too bad. A bit tired from football, but getting there, I'll survive. <laughs> now, it seems an age ago now, last Friday night, but you know we'll talk about that Cardiff versus Fulham, that 1-1 draw, lots of talking points. And first of all, Ben, I mean, you know, it's a 1-1 draw against a very good side. Is that a good point? Or, you know, people saying it's two points dropped uh, after a good performance and being against 10 men? It's a tough one, isn't it? You sort of look at it on paper, you think, oh, I'm happy with a point at home to like a fellow sort of automatic promotion chasing side. But um, you look at it then about the actual match and being down to 10 men for a quarter of an hour and the chances we had, the chances they had. And I sort of came away feeling that is two points dropped more than it was a point gained. What about you? How do you feel about it? I think I disagree. I think I think it's easy to get carried away, I suppose, for lack of a better word, with with being against 10 men I always think it's really hard to play against 10 men and my dad listens to this and he'll laugh because growing up I'd always say to him it's harder to play against 10 men than, than against 11 and, and he'd think that was ridiculous but I, I think that's true it's really hard to break a side down a good side like Fulham and I think when when we're looking at the season as a whole come you know May next year whether we go up whether we're playoffs whatever when you look at results well I think we'll look at that as a good point a good point picked up yeah, probably I can see that happening. It's it's a it's like I say it's a weird one. It's not one that I was coming out of there really kicking myself about, but on the scale of things, is that what if isn't there? Yeah, there is the bit of oh, we probably should have beaten them, sort of feeling more than we deserve to win because again we were possibly a bit too blunt up top. But it was just one of those. It was just a frustrating thing. I think the fans, I got excited by it anyway after getting sent off. <laughs> um, just everything that went with it, the fans getting right on the back, and the atmosphere was incredible. After that red card, it was proper. The fans were up for it. It felt like it should have like got the fans go, uh, got the players going. I think yeah. if if we had had scored in the last couple of minutes, I think the canton would have self destructed. <laughs> it was getting to that sort of stage. Yeah, we'll get on to to Arthur's red card in a bit. Um, but but how the game kind of shaped up, you know. We've talked. We talked last week, and, and when you know a few of us have been on Fulham pods and stuff like that, we've talked about those those clashes of styles, and that's where the rivalry has has come from. And and, and it, it was evident again, wasn't it, that you know Neil Warnock set up his side to absorb Fulham's pressure. He said, "Lads, you have the ball." You know, particularly between their sort of centre halves, who saw a lot of the ball. You have the ball. We'll wait for you to give it away, mess up, and then we'll look to counter counter and break and. Other than, you know, I know it was 1-1 and uh, and obviously we conceded that goal kind of just going into half-time. I thought Warnock got the, the system and, and the tactics spot on. Oh, 100%. And it also showed the clinical nature of Fulham and having like a striker that's clinical in Mitrovic. Other than uh, that one chance where he scored the goal, I don't think Morrison gave him a sniff. I thought Morrison was outstanding other than that goal. Yeah. Um, I thought it just he played his game, which kept him so quiet all night. It also proved to me that I said uh, to a couple of friends before the game, if Fulham lose Mitrovic, they've got nothing. I really, they can pass it about the back all they want, but they were boring. There was no cutting edge there. Mitrovic was looking for it, but the ball just couldn't get to him. Um, Yeah, I was quite surprised by 
how sort of how little they attack not attacked but did with the ball it was sort of pass it around the back and keep control of it that's great crack on with that all day lads we'll nick it off you at some stage and that's where we got the goal from but it was just a weird one it was just, there was no they they played like the sort of teams you expect that pass it around at the back but without that killer pass it's as if they were waiting for the exact perfect opportunity so they're trying to make something create something to happen yeah and I think if I watched that all season, it would be worse than the hoofball sometimes we get accused of playing. It would drive me insane. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, people are quick to label them as ticky-tack or, or, or whatever, which is, you know, a phrase that's probably too loosely branded around around this time. But I, know, I don't know if you, you read either of the um, Pep Guardiola books, um, not autobiographies, but a guy that kind of, spent a lot of time with him and, and kind of wrote about his first season in Bayern Munich and then his first in, in Manchester City as well. And, and he talks about that he doesn't like the word tiki-taka because, or, or, or sorry, he doesn't like when people think passing around the back because there's no intent about it. You're not trying to score a goal. You're just keeping the ball for the sake of it. And that's absolutely what Fulham did. There was no intent. There was no... They barely tried to break us down. They were just recycling the ball around their kind of back four in, in kind of a U-shape, just going back and forth, which, like you said, was, was pretty boring. Yeah, it was weird. Like, they sort of bypassed the midfield in a weird way of just, right, the midfield can hardly have the ball. You've got players in that midfield that really could have done stuff with the ball. Like, Kearney was, saw a lot of the ball, but not in the sort of spaces you want him to. Arta, like some people were saying, was most of the time playing left-back when you want him running with the ball, trying to get the ball forward. Um, Reed didn't see much of the ball, Bobby Reed didn't see any of the ball, which is another funny moment. But <laughs> um, the wingers, Knockout didn't really get it as often as I thought. I thought sort of their sort of game, the way they set up, I thought, right, they're going to play across the back, look to get it wide and whip it in for the big man to get on top, top of Kearney to follow up in on. But there was none of that. It was all just trying to find that perfect pass. And it was just, it yeah. would cook me. It really would cook me. It's um, There's more to the way... Pep's Guardiola side plays or the tiki taka sort of style than just passing it across the back. You've got to look for that intent. It's all well and good trying to be like, oh, they made 700 passes, they made 6 million passes. If there's passes between your centre-backs, it's just, it's something that really, I know we spoke about it a few weeks ago, just the whole passing across the back and the pass success rate, but it's just, it proved that that game on Friday, which feels like a lifetime ago now, um, it proved that it doesn't do a lot if you don't have the attacking intent with it. Absolutely. I've got a stat here that, that you might like, Ben. So over the past seven years, the most passes completed in a championship season is 3,746 by Tom Kearney in sixteen seventeen. At his current rate, Tim Ream, who's obviously one of Fulham centre-halves, is on course to complete 4,869 this season. <laughs> That just shows how ridiculous it is, doesn't it? It just shows that if a centre-back is top of the passing charts, there's something fundamentally wrong with your gameplay. Especially yeah. if he's not playing like the sweep role. Like, Ream was not getting forward. He was one of the last two stood at the back and just playing it between him and Mawson. It was... Yeah, that is shocking. That is... I, I don't see how a manager thinks that's a game plan. I think that shows the naivety of Scott Parker of going, right, this is how teams are supposed to play this is how people want teams to play this is how i want my team to play without really thinking about the game plan other than yep yeah, keep the ball play across the back because that's all there is yeah, there's I mean, no other tactics other than we want to keep the ball for as long as possible but play it across the back and look for that killer pass but yeah. no one was there's no thoughts of how are the players going to swap over like are the people is it a fluid up top where players switching around to create that space there was none of that it was re they look really really isolated and i think it, it wasn't, like, other than the quality of Mitrovic, who was a top-end Premier League striker playing in the Championship, um, yeah, they had no cutting edge. There was nothing there. I didn't think they were going to score. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how long Fulham fans, how long before they grow a bit frustrated because, you know, they love their passing football under Jukanovic. But, like I said, if they start to see that there's, there's no intent, then it'll be interesting to see how long until they grow a bit frustrated with, with with that with Parker. But I don't want to talk too much about Fulham. Obviously, there's a Cardiff 
podcast. And uh, I've got a bones pick with you, Ben, actually, on your player ratings that you put out on Twitter. Happy. Gavin White, this again. a 6 out of 10. Talk to me. Um, It was more that solidly defensively and probably his best game, but it was just the end board, again, lacking the end product. I got hammered the other week by Baker for saying, if you're rating it on players previously, um, he probably goes for a seven, but if you're rating it on other players altogether, I think it was, yeah, that's sort of where I saw him at. Um, it wasn't a terrible performance, it was just a bit, it, to call it average, he, he improved, but it was just, again, that cutting edge was just lacking there from him. But it was definitely his best game for us. I'm gonna have to. I, I, he did drop off second half. I think he he got tired. But first if, half, if I thought on, he was, was our best player. Half, if it was on the first half, he's an eight. Yeah. But you could just tell he was absolutely shattered, and just sort of got became anonymous in the second half. That's all. That's the gist of it, really. Sort of, he worked his nuts off in that first half, and was, I was really impressed with him. And there was people around me who a couple of weeks ago were giving him absolute pelters, were now sort of saying, "Oh, he looks like he could be a good player." But he just needs to sort of get that stamina to make that last 90 minutes and he'd be an outstanding player. It was just, yeah, he just lost his head. Just lost that cutting edge and was a bit tired and just couldn't put the final pass together then in the second half. That's I think that's why he was pulled. It wasn't sort of a harsh pull because you're having a shocker. It was, well done, you've done your job, but you can see you're on your ass. Yeah, absolutely. On the other wing, Josh Murphy obviously got that goal we, we spoke recently about. It feels like he needs that goal to to kick on and, and really find his best form. He's looked dangerous. Got a little bit fortunate with, uh, I think, the keeper probably should have done done better, but really good play. It, it was Warnock's tactics, you know, played out perfectly, wasn't it? Flint came out from the back, intercepted the ball, straight put, put in the pass through on goal for Josh Murphy, who obviously took it on and, uh, and put it in the corner. And, you know, what do you think? Is that going to kick on? I hope so. It seemed to give him a bit of boost, and you could see the relief on his face with the celebration. Um, I think Flint deserves credit for picking up that pass as well. I thought it was a hell of a ball from a centre back. Yeah, um, it was. It was a cracking ball. So, um, yeah, he, he it, hopefully, uh, we've said the last few weeks, he just needs that one goal, and I think he'll push on. Um, he took it well. Um, I think Glatzel couldn't have screamed any louder for him to square it to him, but I don't <laughs> think there was any way that one on one. I don't think Murphy was ever going to square that over to him. And uh, yeah, lucky for him it went in and Bettinelli had a bit of chocolate wrists about him. He did. And and we talked about you know that poor defending for the, the Fulham equaliser. One of the things that, that really stood out to me um, in this game, a little bit in the past when I've seen him, but how good Mitrovic's movement is for for what you, people would consider a big striker. And you know he's always kind of dropping deep. And his movement was, was fairly good for the goal, but but he should have been followed. He should have been tracked and shouldn't be allowed to kind of drift in at the far post and, and score a tap in. Yeah, it was the little foul. Um, well, if it was a foul, it was just one of those things that happens on a pitch uh, with Morrison, caused Morrison to lose his head and just lose his man. And the, just to show how good he is, he needed that one chance and he took it. He's probably not going to score an easier goal, but he was there in the position, knew where the ball was coming and knew how to create that space. Um, that just shows... What, how good of a striker is, and probably something we could do with in our ranks. I think if Glatzel could start getting in those positions, sort of doing those fouls, sometimes Glatzel's a bit too honest. He doesn't have the little tug of the shirt on the centre backs, and um, yeah, but it just shows how clinical you need to be in this league. He had one chance. That was a Premier League finish in the fact of how much space you created for himself to get him in there. The finish was easy as anything, but the goal itself to create that space and know where the ball's coming. That's the that is just showing why he's a he should be a Premier League striker. Yeah, you talk about the kind of it's almost street smarts, isn't it? And uh, there was that moment towards you know midway end to the second half where he kind of wrestled with Pelter on the back post and went down. And I I was surprised to be honest that that a penalty wasn't given. Um, I don't know what what your view is, but you know Pelter probably bought it was a penalty. Yeah, but Mitrovic is clever about it, isn't he? He, he? he makes it look, he gives a bit, but but does enough to go down and make it look like he's forced down as well. He sort of made Peltier foul him, which yeah. is not against the rules, I suppose. It's look, I've got less problem with that than I have with players like Salah, what he did for Morrison's goal uh, against Morrison with the penalty. It was still a foul, but he still dived. Yeah. Um, but that's more cheating than what Mitrovic did. It's just smart play. Like you said, street smarts, you've got to be more intelligent. 
that's what picks the uh, that's what separates the players the best uh, the average from the best just knowing and having that better football brain and just knowing how to get those fouls that other teams don't get there's a reason why Man City are one of the most foul teams in the league not just because they're great players and you've got to sort of hammer them to stop them but they know how to buy those fouls that win you that bit of territory to get the ball in yeah, and throughout the game, there was a few standout moments, but two of my favourite moments, apart from the obvious uh, Arterbred card, which we'll come on to in a second, was was one when uh, Bakuna absolutely just bodied Arter at one stage, just completely shrugged him off the ball and, and Arter fell down like a sack of shit, to be honest with you. And, and the <laughs> other was that, that Joe Rawls uh, tackle, kind of when Arter was running with the ball towards goal and he just kind of wrapped his leg around him and, and won the ball. Rawls, man of the match again, we, you know, we did an article today announcing our um, the first view from the Indian Player of the Month awards, and you know we were expecting most months to be a bit of a competition, but no competition this month. It, it was Joe Rawls, and he's just been outstanding, outstanding this game and outstanding the whole month, hasn't he? Oh, he's been just brilliant. I think um, we've said we're expecting a big season from him, and he's sort of bringing that to the front, isn't he? He's sort of proving why we expected such big things from him. And showing why managers have got such faith in him. He, there was a reason he took that number eight shift from Dicashri or Dicachoy or however you said it <laughs> under <laughs> Russell Slade. Russell Slade gave him that I'd chance. I've forgotten because... about him. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> but anyway, um, yeah, Russell's just, he's coming on leaps and bounds. That season in the Premier League, while it was a rocky start, it's going to do wonders for him long term. He's looking like a Premier League player. He learned so much. You can see it there. And he learned a lot from Arta. You can see he's a more aggressive, more tenacious player now playing with Arta yeah. uh, for, for one season. Um, and yeah, it feels like he's really got a point to prove again in a, in a way because he was kind of second fiddle. You know, Gunnarsson, Arta and, and Camarasa were the first choice midfield three last year, which you know might have been slightly hurtful to Rawls after being at the club so long and finally getting to the Premier League as a first-team player. He's got a point to prove that his, his quality, like I said, that he is a Premiership player. And, you know, if he carries on this form, I, I, I'd expect a few kind of mid-table Premier League clubs to be coming in from in January. Oh, 100%. He, he's got the opportunity now to be the main man. He's got the opportunity to be the next Peter Whittingham. If that, not, I know they're slightly different players, but to sort of... In terms he's of the legacy. The one, and... Yeah, he's the one player there that could really sort of carve that out for himself. And it's a rare thing at a club, but he seems happy... Um, but I think he's not. So, I think he's probably got a bit more ambition than Whitswood. If a Premier League club came in, I think he'd definitely go. And on the form he's on at the moment, I'd be amazed if there's not a team coming in for him. Sort of your Burnleys. I think he'd be great in that Burnley side. Um, yeah, he's just really, really impressed me and stepping up to the plate big time. Yeah, and, and you know the the last talking point of, of the game and. I'm going to read, Ben did the notes for the game and I'm going to read what he's put here. Arthur being a diving shit, FYI, I called the red card and we've been bragging about that for a good 45 minutes. So Ben, here's your moment, you called it. Well, you know, it's I. you just know these things, you see it and you can't help but be a football ingenious, can you? <laughs> like he was due a red card at the Cardiff City Stadium and by... The, <laughs> Just narrowing it down, it had to be then, didn't it? Just the way he's played for us last year. If yeah. he was a couple, if he was, if he didn't get injured, he'd have been sent off. It was just I had a feeling the fans would get on his back, and I knew he would. I knew he'd react to it. And yeah, he, I didn't expect him to get sent off the way he did. No, absolutely scandalous. I know, I, but in a way, I'm not surprised because we know he's he's got that in him. Not necessarily the diving, but trying to trying his luck and, and trying to you know pull the wool over the referee's eyes a bit. Um, you know, he, he loves to argue with the officials and, you know, the referee even pulled Tom Kearney over at one stage to tell him to get Arthur back on back on his leash. And, you know, we, we talked last week about the reception that Arthur would get. There were a few jeers, a few, you know, it, it was mixed, it wasn't too bad, but it didn't take long for for, for the car seat team to kind of turn on him, did it? You know, a few tough tackles, a few arguing the ref generally just being a bit of a shit and and they were on his back straight away. Oh, it really made me miss him though. Just look at him going, ah, oh, but last year he was our bastard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just looking at it going, yeah, I remember why I loved you watching you play. You're just a shit. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was just foolish though, wasn't it? It was just 
a couple of silly things. I don't think he liked getting put on his ass by rules, and I think that's where that yeah. challenge from the got him his first booking. And it was definitely that was definitely a booking. Oh, hundred percent. I think that I think it's as clear of a two yellow cards as you're going to get. Um, if he had gone down straight away, there's no, there's it's a foul. But he carried on running, realized he's not getting the ball, and just sort of took a tumble. Yeah. About ten steps later. That yeah. And that's then got the, thing the brother-in-law it. coming out trying to defend him. Oh, that that wound me up. You're just there going, look, I know he's your brother-in-law, but any other player had done that, you'd hammer them. Yeah. He got the contact. No one's debating it was contact. But you can't run five steps and then fall over. It was just ridiculous. It was just, yeah, it was just mental. It it showed that Scott Parker hasn't really got, I don't think, a a nasty edge about him. I think if Fulham go into a bit of free fall, there could be a bit of trouble there. Yeah, I thought Parker's interview was really... Interesting. Weak. It was weak. It was almost like a, a bratty schoolboy, in a way. Like he didn't like being asked those questions, and kind of was just kind of dismissive of everything. And um, you know, kept repeating, you know, you've got to ask yourself this contact. And like I said, no one's really debating whether there was, there might have been a little bit of contact. We don't know. You can't. It's kind of indecisive in a way. But regardless, took about three or four steps and then threw himself into the ground in his own corner flag. Do you know yeah, I mean? like, and you could tell by his reaction, he knew, oh, I yeah. should have done that. He went off on one straight away, knowing that he's absolutely messed this one up. Um, and it's just, yeah, it just cooks me. It's just, you, we want to cut diving out of the game. And it's not like Fulham haven't got previous for diving in the last couple of weeks. Mitrovic, was at Huddersfield, where he no one touched him? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Around. And it's just, they're going to gain a reputation. They're trying to be this... You know, the press is pretty boys that everyone loves. You know, everyone's second favourite side. But you keep pulling acts like this, people are going to turn and realise what they are. And personally, I hope that happens quite soon. <laughs> because um, it's just getting too much. The yeah. one thing I will say is they out us on um, Friday. I they think did, when, it, they? when they went down to 10 men, they gritted it out and sort of knew how to run down the clock. I think the referee was really weak in the, with the goalkeeper. Um, I think that yellow the, the rule about yellow card of any player for time wasted only works if you've got the bottle to send them off and I don't think there was any point that referee was ever in danger of sending that goalkeeper off he didn't want the headlines and that sort of really frustrated me more than Fulham wasting time it was the lack of spying from the ref like if we were down to 10 men in that situation I'd want us to do exactly what Fulham were doing it's frustrating does your head in but the referee should be stronger and sort of stopping that a lot earlier. I don't know. I thought the ref was from in my opinion was was pretty good. I thought it took a lot of balls to send Arthur off. Um you know the the story was there that, you know, returning to the Carset Stadium, a dive, you know, it's a big decision. I thought generally he I'm sure about I, the time wasted now more than anything. Yeah, I get what you're saying, particularly the goalkeeper, he booked him. It yeah, it does take a strong referee to to send him off, I think it would be too maybe controversial or get too much stick for, for doing that. But I thought generally he kept uh didn't take too much shit from from Fulham. Um, you know, they tried to shit house themselves to a draw as you said, and I thought he's generally pretty good, but I, I I get your point about the goalkeeper. I think any other player would have maybe got a further warning for maybe a second yellow card. But overall I thought he was pretty good considering, you know, some of the poor refereeing we've had recent or you know, in the yeah, last couple of years. That's true. Um, well, that that game obviously wrapped up, you know, the kind of first section of the season. We're on to the international break, and Ben, how do you feel the season has gone so far? Um, you know, two wins uh, against Luton and Huddersfield, a loss against Reading and against Wigan on the opening day, draws against Blackburn and Fulham, mixed but but not too bad. What do you think? It's slightly disappointing, but not to the point where you want to be pulling your hair out. It's a bit. Much like my school reports, could do better. Um, I think it's just, we're still waiting for it to kick into gear. I don't think Warnock knows his best 11. I still don't think he does. Um, and it's just waiting for it all just to click into place. Um, I think the only game we've really been battered in was Reading. And yeah, that sort of that was fell at a time. Wasn't it? Yeah, that sort of fell at a time where there was a lot of bad feeling with the fan base. And I think it's still 
hurts a little. I think that sort of result performance and everything that went with it sort of hurts. And that's sort of where the sort of, ooh, I don't know if we're going to hit the playoffs, I don't know if we're going to hit challenge for the top two. There's still a long way to go. We've still got a long, long season ahead of us um, to rule us out of going for the top two. But we have made it a bit more difficult for ourselves than it needs to be. What about you? How do you think it's gone? Yeah, I'd, I'd largely agree needs to do better. I don't think it's awful. I think there's a lot of factors that come into play in terms of, you know, largely a new squad, um, some new faces, a few injuries. I think the Etheridge injury uh, is massive. I don't think we've probably not spoken enough about that since, you know, immediately afterwards because I think if, if Etheridge is in goal, and that's not saying that Dale Smithies, whoever's been in goal, has done badly, I just think that Etheridge brings that that calmness and the trust with the back four, and you know, particularly with with the new centre half in in Flint, um, it's suddenly without Etheridge there, it's a new goalkeeper and a new centre half. So I think that that's a big factor. So overall, I think okay, you know, looking at the table, it's hard to look at the table after six games, but we're only two points from the playoffs. I think what's probably making it feel worse for a lot of fans is a that such high expectations coming into the season and be our two biggest rivals Bristol City and Swansea have started the, the season quite well you know Swansea are, are top 16 points from six games I think that probably makes it a little bit worse I think if Swansea weren't top I think there'd be less of an overreaction if that makes sense yeah I think that's probably fair to say getting wound up by um, our neighbours down the road has sort of made it a bit harder to swallow I'm not so worried about Bristol City they'll get to February and have their usual crumble Absolutely. Um, Premier League so manager in training, they say, don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, absolute state of him. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I don't want to give him credit, but the Jacks have done really well. I thought they were going to be in for a long season, um, and you can see, if anything, they've got better by losing their best players, which I really don't understand how they've done that. I don't know if they can sustain it the whole season, but I think they're well within the chance of getting the playoffs now, which I didn't think they were at the start of the season. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's, it's a long season, isn't it? I think at some point they'll slip up and all it takes is a, a bad run or a good run in this division to completely change you know, the shape of the table and, and how it's going. And If you're looking at, at ben, the, the first kind of six games, seven including the, the Luton one, what would you class as the good, the bad and the ugly? Oh, I think the last-minute winner for Luton felt good. That's sort of the best bit for me so far. That's the one bit that stands out. Um, the bad, I think the defending for goals, so giving away the silly goals near enough every game, that's been the bit that frustrates me. I think the one that stands out for the ugly is definitely the Reading game. Um, there was nothing pretty about that performance at all. Yeah, I, I agree. I Larger agree, maybe the bad, the Wigan game, not not that it was a disaster, but it was kind of a blow to start the season. Like I said, Etheridge going out injured as well. Um, Largely agree with, with the rest. And if you were Neil Warnock, Ben, and you kind of had to, you had a checklist of, of how to improve things over the international break, what would be the key areas you, you might address? Um, I think... Going forward, I think the goals are going to start coming. I think Murphy's got it now. I think Glatzel's looking like he's getting closer. Um, I still think Mendes is the man to play on the other side, and I think he'll start yeah. getting a couple of goals soon. The um, international break's come at a good time for him, hasn't it? Just yeah, kind of coming back to fitness and getting up to speed now. Oh, no, I've changed my mind on the bad. Mendes' haircut. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Yeah, yeah not, a not, fan. Having, not having that. Um, it's not a good look for him. I don't know what he's done there. So I'm changing my mind on the bad for that. But um, I think it's more just the defensive errors and sort of the link-up between the defence and the midfield. That's where we're sort of shooting ourselves in the foot time and time again. It's looking and going, is Will Volk the bloke to put in and sort of sit in front? I know he's sort of more box-to-box than that. Or is it something we really need to look at and say, with Pack out, are we getting another one in? Um, it genuinely wouldn't surprise me to see us bring a player in this week. Um, one of the free agents that people have been talking about. I don't know who. Yednak possibly. Ledley is an also, also another shout uh, on a short contract. But um, I think that that's sort of the the big issue. I think the defence errors, they know themselves. They've got to stop making them. They'll stop in time. Or if not, we're in trouble. But I think that's sort of the link up between the midfield and the defence is where I sort of would be focusing my time at the moment. 
Yeah, I agree. I think the, the kind of cutting out those, those defensive errors um, is, is the goals for me. I mean, Warlock needs to work out how to get the best out of Robert Glatzel. Is he... Does he need to play in a front two? You know, is there a case for changing the system and maybe playing him and Bogle or Vassell up front and, and playing a four four two? Maybe I'd quite like to see it given a go at least. Um, yeah, you know, he needs to work out his best side. I, I I agree that Mendes will will play on that right once he's once he's fit again. Although I've been you know impressed the more he's played by White, so I think that's a really good option. Um, and it's the big shot over the number ten, and you know. It, it not baffles me, but confuses me slightly. The massive loving with with Lee Tomlin, and I think Cardiff fans and fan football fans in general love a, a maverick, don't they? They love someone that they can they can relate to, and I get that. And I, Tomlin's a good player, and I like him. But for me, Callum Patterson is better in a number ten role for Cardiff than Lee Tomlin. You know, I think he suits our system better. I don't think he's ever going to win the Ballon d'Or. And- make the highlight reel on uh, the showboat on Soccer AM, but I think for what we need in that role... Maybe for his dancing. Yeah, possibly at the end, yeah. I think he's the man for me as well at times. I think if he was fully fit, I think he'd have started at Fulham. I I don't think Tolham did too bad. It was probably his weakest game, but that was to be expected given the level of the opposition. But um, Lee Tomlin is going to play a vital role in this season I think I think he's going to chip in with a couple of goals and a couple of assists but he's not the essential he's not the key to getting the best out of Glatzel or getting the best out of this team no and I um, I just think this is to be slightly controversial but I just think he's a bit of a luxury player and I actually ended up I, I couldn't make it down to the um, to the full-on game so I ended up watching it on Sky and uh, Keith Andrews is one of the pundits I actually think is quite a good pundit on the, on the Football League uh kind of games and he was talking about maybe where it's gone wrong for Warnock so far and, and this is when he's maybe that these new players are brought in and some of the players that are, have come in to replace ones that have gone out just aren't Warnock players they aren't Warnock they're not players built for that system and I think to an extent that that's right of of Tomlin and he's maybe trying to shoehorn him in because because the fans have been calling for him because he's clearly a talented player but if we're going to get out of this division by playing the football that Neil Warnock knows works so well at this level, it's going to be direct football and Callum Patterson fits into that a lot better. I think it's more, I I don't want to slate Tomlin because I'm really happy to see him back and I really want him to do well for this club. I really do. But um, I think it's more the reason Tomlin's gone in is because we haven't got anyone else. That midfield is so thin. We're missing Pack. Um, Volks just doesn't suit that sort of role. Patterson wasn't fit. I think that's the only reason he's gone in. I've really like without trying to be hammer him and say he's not good enough, but he's he's you're right. He's not a Warnock player. Uh, again, same as Bobby Reed. It begs the question why he was signed. But I think for the system we play, the only reason he's in the squad at the moment and playing those games is because there's no one else to go in. Yeah, I think that I think that's probably right. And if we're looking at kind of who's stood out and who's disappointed for you Ben in this this first chunk of the season I'm guessing Joe Rawls is the standout yeah 100% uh, yeah. No anyone else close. Um, in trips and drabs it's um, I think Pelch has been solid um, yeah it's been a mixed bag um, I know we're going to jot back to the Fulham game I've hammered him and hammered him for most of this season but I thought Bakuna was very good yeah agreed. Um, I really thought he improved that as his best performance in the City shit by far. Um, yeah, White's had moments. Glatzel, I think, is just missing that goal, and I think he's there. Um, Vassell's looked sharp when he's come on. And Bogle as well, he's looked sharp when he wants to come on. He looks like he wants to try. Sometimes I think he tries too hard. Yeah. But yeah, Rawls is by far, just flicking through the squad list now, Rawls is by far the stand-up player. Um, Hoylet's done well when he's come off the bench as well, but he seems to go missing when he starts. Um, it's a strange one, but yeah, Rawls is the main guy for me. What about you? Yeah, I agree. It's, it's, I think it's impossible to look beyond him if you, you have to pick up your one standout. You know, there's others that have have shown kind of good moments. Murphy's shown good moments. Obviously, Pack was superb on his debut, but obviously missed missed a few other games. Um, 
Bakuna did well against Fulham. I thought Bennett's done okay, but but had some bad games as well. Same for Morrison and Flint. Smithies, I think, has done done okay. You know, obviously not yeah. the Reading game, but I think considering he's not played a lot of football in the last year before before Ethel's injury, I think he's he's done quite well. Um, but yeah, no no one's hit hit Rawls's level, um, and you know that that's the marker now for the rest of the team of you know he's our standout player play at his level and we will we will go up and we'll oh, I think be if, that level. if one plays to Rawls level we're going to be a force in this league it's just a couple of players who just got to step up their game a bit I think they're still figuring each other out a little bit I think Rawls is probably the only player that properly understands his role within the squad yeah um, I think that's a big thing with it I still think Flint and Morrison are still trying to understand who's doing what um, Peltier just knows he's got to be a pit bull and just cause carnage and I think Bennett for one and Baker put your earplugs in now mate to be honest because he's going to get a bit of a hammer in here um, <laughs> he's still playing like I don't know if it's the role he's been given or what but he's just seems to have slipped back a bit to the defensive errors he made before Warnock came in one of the reasons Warnock wasn't too sure about him when he first came on was because he was worried about his defensive role and there's been times this season where he's gone back to that player that sort of drifts off, gets lost. Um, I don't think he's helped by Murphy at times. I think Murphy's defensive work needs work big time. I think he needs to improve that to really, really stand out in this squad. I think he's too often when he sort of hits the defensive area, he sort of watches the ball instead of looking to go towards it. Yeah. And sort of gets caught dilly-dallying and sort of just lets men get past him which doesn't help Bennett, but I really do think he needs to get back to the sort of defensive defender that he was two seasons ago, and in the Premier League as well, because he did play well in the Premier League, but he seems to have just wanted to be going on the going on runs at the moment and sort of going from there. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess if I had to pick someone that I think would be disappointment, and this is harsh, so I don't think they've done much wrong, Um but Will Vokes, purely because of the high expectations that I had, I thought he'd come in and be a perfect Warnock player and play in kind of a, the midfield with, with, with Rawls and, and, and be outstanding, but we've not really seen him. And I know Warnock has spoken about him not quite adjusting yet and maybe trying a bit too hard. Um, and really, he could have done with with these next two weeks of being in Cardiff and working on the training ground rather than being... Uh, on international duty but you know that is what it is and it's superb to see a Cardiff City player in a Wales squad again but you know purely out of out of high expectations of, of Will Vokes Yeah I think the international break actually might come at a good time for him I think it might do him good to sort of slip back with another team and sort of realise what he does well because he's, he's been solid for the Wales City side and I think that's what we need out of him sort of he needs to remember how to play like that and sort of know his role from that and say this is what we want from you out of the Cardiff side yeah, I agree. And, and before we kind of look at the next block of games, just something that, that from the Fulham game, which, uh, which which I remembered was that moment at the end, I'm not sure if you saw it, of, of Josh Murphy with that, that young lad giving him a shirt and, and the young lad in absolute tears. And, oh, yeah, that's brilliant. Really touching moment that, you know, is, you know, I think I'd probably still be like that now, even if, if, if Josh Murphy gave me a shirt. So great moment for, for that fan. <laughs> and if we're looking at the next block of games, Ben, we've got Derby away. Ask international break, Borough at home, Holloway, QPR at home, and West Brom away. What's the expectations and what are you targeting from those games? I think if we can go through all of those unbeaten, that's an outstanding return. I think that's really sort of put, will put us back on track. Um, there's a couple of tough away games there, I think. Derby away, West Brom away are going to be really tough. I think even Hull. Arla are a good side this year. They look like they're going to be doing well. They're not easy to break down. Um, yeah, I think you're looking three wins and two draws, and you'd be buzzing. Yeah, I think so. I think I think the two home games we should win. That's Borough and, and, and yeah. QPR. I think four points then from from two of, of from sorry four points from three away games is a decent return. Yeah, West Brom look look very good. I think that'll be a tough game, and you know. Kenzer Hall will definitely come on and score a winner. I'm uh, putting a fiver on it. Yeah. That should stop it. Uh, Derby, oh, who knows what we'll get. You know, they 
they've shown glimpses of quality and, and shown some really bad moments. Um, so that could could go either way. But it yeah, could also be snowed off. We don't know yet, do we? Well, yeah, you know, September snow. What do you think? Yep. Well, Friday the thirteenth of September, it's going to be. There's, they're going to look for a reason to cancel it, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, Ben. Well, if we leave it there on Cardiff, and in the next part, we're going to have a quick chat about the upcoming Wales games. <laughs> Well, we're going to have a quick chat here about uh, the upcoming Wales games. Uh, obviously, Will Vokes in the squad. Nice to have a Cardiff City player back in there. And two games coming up, uh, a Euro qualifier against Azerbaijan tomorrow uh, at the Cardiff City Stadium. And then a friendly against Belarus on Monday. Uh, no Ramsey. That, you know, that's been a problem and it has been uh, in recent games when he's been missing. How do you see these games going? Obviously, the Azerbaijan one is... Is the big one being a qualifier, and, and you'd expect the strongest squads possible going out there? Yeah, I think um, it's a must-win. To be honest, looking at where we are and how the sort of campaign's gone so far, I think it's no secret that every player knows they need to win that to stand a chance of us qualifying for the Euros. Um, I don't think Ramsey, as good of a player he is, I think if we can't beat Azerbaijan without Aaron Ramsey, I don't think we deserve to qualify. Is the brutal truth about it? Um, there's other players in that midfield that really should be stepping up now and being good enough to cover the loss of Ramsey in that midfield against a sort of lesser opposition. I know it's going to be a tough game and Azerbaijan will be a tough team to beat, but if we're looking to qualify for these tournaments regularly with the squad we've got, these are the games we should be winning 2-3-0 and not sort of worrying about when we're missing a player. I know it's difficult because Ramsey's sort of the heartbeat of the team. Sort of, He is probably the one world-class midfielder we've got in that squad. But, um, yeah, I think we should be looking to get a po- again all three points on uh, tomorrow night. And then uh, the Belarus game, I don't think is it's more of a sort of... I think Giggs will use that to experiment a bit more. I don't think you'll see as many of the first teams. I'd be amazed if Bale starts, for instance. I think that's where he's going to look to give Tom Lawrence a good run. Uh, um, Johnny Williams, that's where he'll look to give him a good, nice little run out as well. Um, if he doesn't start, which... I think a lot of people are reckon he could start um, against Azerbaijan from the way he's played for Charlton. But um, yeah, I think it's that's less of a focus for them. I think that's more, to be honest, I think it's more of an inconvenience for Giggs um, because a bad result can ask more questions, again, even if it is played with a sort of lesser squad. Yeah, absolutely. And looking at Azerbaijan's record, you know, played three, lost three, and conceded 10 goals in those those three games, they are who many would look at as kind of the whipping boys of of the group. And like you said, at home against against them, Ramsey or not, we we've gotta be gotta be you know, scoring a couple of goals there and, and Gareth Bale obviously scored two for uh for Real Madrid before being sent off uh the last game for them. So he's looking in good form and, and you know, he'd relish this opportunity to remind everyone of his if you know, how good he is. Yeah. He's the main man in that squad and I think that's where he thrives. Um, it's nice to see him play and nice to see him with a smile back on his face. Um, nice to see a smile wiped off Zidane's face. Oh, that was class. Just no. In my head, he sort of thought, oh, I'm saving his job here. I've got to do something to spoil this and got himself sent off. <laughs> Either that I realise he's got a rang booked at the Vale and he can't cancel it. Yeah, probably that. And you're looking at the, the, the kind of group table. Um, Hungary are on top played four with nine points. They're not playing this this round of games. Wales are fourth in the group with only three points. Slovakia and Croatia uh, play this weekend. They're both on six points. So, you know, it's a chance for Wales to to get one, you know, get up to third place, hopefully, ahead of the next round of, of games. And, you know, if we're going to qualify, we need to start winning games, don't we? Yeah, we need to go on a run, uh, pure and simple. Um, I don't know if there's too many teams that are qualified after losing two of their first three. Um, it's sort of it's shit or bust now, I think, for this team. Um, it's yeah, it's just it's gonna be. I think you could get nearby. I think the first twenty minutes, if we haven't got a goal early on, I think the red wall could get a bit twitchy. I really do. I think this is the time now to put pressure on Croatia, Slovakia, and Hungary. 
uh, purely just to say, look, we are not out of this. We may have lost two, but we're not out of this, and we should be looking to beat these uh, Azerbaijan comfortably. And you mentioned earlier, Ben, that there's you know a couple of questions raised over gigs and and you know a bit of pressure on him. And if we lose this game, there might be you know a bit a bit more. And what questions remain over him and his managerial ability? How do you think he's done so far? It's been mixed. It's a frustrating sort of period. I think the lesser teams, we've absolutely thrived. I think you look, you think back to the Island game at the um, League of Nations. Um, is it called the League of Nations or Nations League? Nations League. Nations League. Um, I think like you look back to that, and that was one of the most exciting, fun performances Wales have ever had. I was out in Barcelona for that game in an Irish bar and had the best time going. Uh, purely because we sort of rinsed them and it was really fun really exciting to watch but then you've also got on the other side of it um, sticking back with the same tournament um, you've got the Denmark performance it was dull it was drab there was no attacking intent um, I think Giggs has got a long way to go I don't think he'll ever get the fans on the side the way Coleman did even if he qualified for a tournament I think he's still got that bit where some fans are always going to be on his case but um, I think he, there is a there. It's fair to ask questions of Giggs at the moment. I really do think it's fair. Well, you mentioned the fans that that are getting on his case, and I I will admit I'm definitely one of those. Uh, I am. How can I word this? I think it has been nothing short. Well, I was going to say nothing short of disaster. That's that's an over exaggeration. I think it's been really bad. I think that you know, let's look at look at the squads. And yes, we were on a high from the Euros, Coleman, you know, a bit of a dip after that, readjusting. This is a squad that has three of Wales' best ever players. The best ever, probably in, in Gareth Bale. I know there's argument for John Charles, but I think what Bale has achieved in Europe and you know, the Champions League, that type of thing, gives him the edge. Ramsey, I'd say probably top five Welsh players of all time in a Wales shirt of what what he's done. Joe Allen's up there as well. Oh, I think you're about Chris Gunter. <laughs> well, yeah, then then <laughs> then Chris Gunter. We don't have long left with with those three players, particularly you know uh, Bale and you know with with his legs and, and stuff like that. And it's such a prime opportunity to to qualify for for another Euros. And gigs just I have no faith in his ability as, as a manager I don't think he's shown enough yes there's been some games like the Ireland game but there's also been some absolute disasters like you said and when he's actually needed to show some tactical you know flexibility and, and, and ideas and stuff like that I just think he's really struggled and, and that worries me and you know we've got some really bright players coming through and I think it, they're being wasted in in many ways I know that's a, that's a strong opinion and um, and many people might think I'm overreacting, but it's such an important time for for Wales, and and obviously Oshan Roberts has gone now as well, and whether that is just to pursue a, a good opportunity or whether it is something to do with with gigs, you know, it certainly strikes me that Oshan Roberts is one of the most passionate Welsh Welsh people out there, so it must be something big for him to to leave that post. It does worry me that departure. Um, I think we're only going to know about how much of an influence that has on the squad in the next couple of games. But um, yeah, Oshan leaving definitely just felt like something to be concerned about. Um, I think one of the biggest issues I've had with it is there's two things that stand out is one gigs doesn't seem to have a plan B. Um, if it goes well, then we blow teams apart, blow teams away and it's really, really comfortable. It's really nice to watch. But if we go goal down or we're struggling to break teams down, he doesn't seem to have, the ability to bring players on to change the game. Um, the other one is he seems to rely on non-strikers to play as a striker when I think the way we were playing at times in the last couple of games has screamed for Sam Vokes to be on the pitch. Um, we were whipping balls in for Tyler Roberts, who's not spectacular in the air, that Vokes could have got on the end of and done stuff with. Um, his He seems too hell-bent on trying to bring that sort of class of 92 feel to the Wales squad that he's neglecting some of the more senior players that can still do a job I understand the Ledley drop in there's other players that have been dropped like I think he's right to drop Ashley Williams for this um, for this round of fixtures purely because he didn't have a club yeah. but there's players like Vokes who 
are needed in that squad. You need someone to look like they can put the ball in the net, and he's the only striker Wales have that I think is capable of scoring a few goals. Yeah, and one of the things that that worries me, and you mentioned about the friendly that he might experiment and you know give some new players run outs and try some different things, and I get to an extent that's what international friendlies are for, but we're you know we're a year and a half into his tenure in. Uh, you know, not too far off two years in January. It still seems, A, like you said, he doesn't know a plan B, but he also doesn't know his best size or how to get the best out of this this yeah. team. You know, he's not new as a manager now. A year and a half is, is plenty. I think a club, if after that time, is, is a decent amount of time for a manager and it's no different really for an international manager. So it's an interest. I don't know what what the answer is because if you do get rid, who is who is the kind of obvious choice? I don't think there is one beyond Oshan Roberts, who I don't think is going to come back now. Definitely not soon. Have to go into over to uh, it's Morocco, isn't it? Yeah. So I don't know the answer, but I think you know if we don't qualify for for this this tournament, then he he's got to go, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um... Some people try to argue that it's a long game, um, but this squad is hasn't got the long game about it. It's got some world-class players in it and some potential in it at the same time. This is a squad that should be doing bits. This is a squad that really should be challenging for that top spot, not even looking for the playoffs. Um, we should be challenging for that top spot and qualifying automatically. Yeah, agreed. And Ben, if we're uh, to wrap up, What's your score predictions? I start with Azerbaijan, the the qualifier on Friday. Um, Azerbaijan's a weird one because it always felt like for years during the Mark Hughes era, we played them about six times a year. Yeah. Um, I think two nil to Wales. I'll go for that. I can go two one. I think we'll I think we'll edge it, but I think it'll be a bit nervy. And what about the Belarus friendly on Monday? Um, truthfully, I don't know a huge amount about Belarus. Um. I don't know how they're going to come out and play, but um, I think with an experimental squad, if we get a draw, if we're playing with a, a younger squad, then it's not a bad result. But I'll go, I'll go confident. I'll go for a two-one win. Yeah, I'm not sure if actually any more now that Alexander Herb, I'm presuming, has retired. I don't think I could name you a Belarus player. No, I was trying to think then if there's anyone I can think of, and there's not. Well, apparently, Alexander Herb is still playing. No way. He is. He's playing in Belarus uh, for FC Islok Minsk. He is 38. So I'm not sure if he's retired from international football or if we will uh, see him. But uh, there we are. Well, Ben, that's perfect. Thank you very much for for joining us and hope everyone enjoyed listening to that. Uh, And we'll be back next week. Uh, Looking forward to Car City kicking back following week again nice and cheers dude speak to you soon cheers man